You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Southern Fried Sports on your home for University of Alabama Athletics, Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. A great time to get by there. Pick up that special gift basket for that special someone. Maybe just a a small treat, you know. Sometimes a little is all it takes, especially when you're talking about the great chocolate there. At Peterbrook Chocolates here, I'm going to give you a little pro tip, too. I'm probably talking out of school here. I may be reprimanded by the chocolate lady a little bit later on for cluing you into this. But at 6 o'clock every day, Those outstanding hand-dipped chocolate strawberries, whatever still remains from the day's inventory, when we talk about the chocolate-dipped strawberries, they go on sale at half off starting at 6 o'clock. Just a little bit, just a little bit of a pro tip for you there. Peterbrook Chocolates here, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Joined, as always, on the program by executive producer Joe Gaither, who together we combine to form the 60-minute boom. Woo! Of Sports Talk Radio. Joe Gaither, how you doing on this Tuesday morning? I'm doing great, Travis. I'm going to take that pro tip and put it in my pocket. How about yourself today? Yes, you can uh, kind of put that one. That one can make you look like a hero with a significant other, right? You show up about 6.30 with those half-off chocolate strawberries. They don't have to know that they were half-off. They probably won't care because then you can buy more of them at half-off as well. I'm doing good, man. We had sort of a deferred steak night at Casa de Ryer last night. So always a good night. We're able to get that smoker going, throw a few steaks on there. Try to go healthier with the sides. You know, I like to do the traditional steak and baked potato and load that potato up, you know, and then have the steak with it. But I I tried to go a little healthier last night. I threw uh, threw some chopped zucchini on the grill along with some Vidalia onions, tried to keep it a little bit healthier. Not sure if I succeeded with that. When you factor in the desserts that were in play as well. You know, I'm not a big lemon square person. I don't know about you, Joe, but desserts that are lemon-based or lime-based, they're just not my thing. I like lemon and lime, but I don't like uh, lemon meringue pie, for example. Not a big fan of that. Not a big fan of key lime pie. What about you, Joe? Are you a lemon and lime dessert guy or no? Uh, usually only if it's the <laughs> only if it's set out. Uh, it would not be my first preference. Okay, but I but I can't yes, stay yeah. away from sweet. So if it's set out and that's the only thing there, I'm going to enjoy it. Now, if you give me some chocolate, you give me some bread pudding, you know, just ice cream in general. Um, you put out the cheesecake. Oh, love the cheesecake. But yeah, not a big lemon and lime dessert guy, but. The chocolate lady came up with these lemon squares. They were pretty subtle. You know, they weren't the overpowering lemon flavor to them. They were pretty subtle, savory almost, creamy almost lemon. And they had this uh, buttery cookie crust on them. Oh, 
Now, I'll eat those. Those were outstanding. I've been eating those for a couple of days. I need to uh, – speaking of moratoriums in the Tuscaloosa area, speaking of two-week bans, Joe Gaither in the Tuscaloosa area, I need one self-imposed when it comes to those lemon squares after the last couple of days. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. If you'd like to check in with us on a Tuesday morning, you are welcome to do so coming up in just a little bit. We're going to go around the Southeastern Conference with our good friend Brent Beard. We'll check in on a number of topics involving Southeastern Conference football. And we'll get into some X factors for the Alabama defense during the 2020 season. The defense has been a big topic of late. You've heard from Pete Golding, Alabama defensive coordinator. You heard from Nick Saban last night. Nick wasn't happy with that 11-2 and season, was he? You know, listening to Nick last night in terms of the disappointment from 2019, a season in which your backup quarterback made four starts, you lost both of your veteran inside linebackers in the month of August. That was just the start of the injury problems. In that season, you went 11-2, and lost two games by a combined eight points to two teams that at the time in which you played them were top 15 teams, including one on the road. And to hear Nick last night, boy, it was like uh, it was like four and eight, wasn't it? But that's exactly what you want to hear. That's exactly what you want to hear if you're an Alabama fan. That means that standard is still uh, in very much rarefied air when it comes to expectations on an annual basis. And uh, look, this is a program under Nick Saban that hasn't gone – three or more years without a national championship. That's being put to the test in 2020. No national title in 18. No national title a year ago. Here we go. Third straight year, perhaps, with Alabama being national champion championshipless. If it happens, that'll be the first time in the Nick Saban era. So we'll talk with Brent. Coming up in just a little bit, obviously, the bar ban from yesterday has been a big topic of discussion. You heard Nick Saban comment on that topic during his news conference last night. You know, when it sort of came down real time on the program yesterday, I don't think I had the sort of response that kind of drives radio ratings. You know, it wasn't exactly bombastic. For me, it was kind of like, yeah, well, you know, what did you expect? You know, I understood that everyone involved from the university to the city to the students to the business owners, everybody involved wanted to have their cake and eat it too. Man, we just can't get away from the desserts today, can we? Um, But how realistic was that? When you just look at the numbers involved here, okay, you're talking what? In the neighborhood of 30,000 folks coming into the area and you consider how the university and the city even together are staffed in a way that you're going to facilitate protocols and mandates and carry them out with those kind of numbers. You know, I wrote about this last night after Saban's comments and you look at the success rate that Alabama football has had with managing this virus And again, if you just do the math, it makes sense. You know that if you look at the, if you look at the uh, staff directory at RollTide.com for Alabama football, including Nick Saban, you have 45 staff members in the University of Alabama football department, 45, okay? So let's say you even consider a roster of, 105 players, right? You've got 45 staff members for 105 players. And that's just looking at football. In other sports, you know, basketball, you're certainly staffed in a way that, in a terms of a ratio of managing a roster, uh, it's, it's doable. But you're trying to manage 30,000 people with the size of staffs that we're talking about with the city of Tuscaloosa and UA. Yeah, good luck with that, you know. So my expectation, even months ago, my wife's, when we would talk about the realistic viability of 
having a fall semester that resembled anything we've seen in the past, we never really had expectations for that. My expectation all along is that at some point, the situation is going to go entirely to virtual learning. And look, I know this is the point in the proceedings where those who aren't in line with that thought start throwing at throwing out the hospitalization rates for students. Look, that's not that's not the criteria that the University of Alabama or the city of Tuscaloosa is working off of. So, look, I, I get what you're saying, and perhaps that should be that should be the parameters that are in play. The parameters that are in play are case numbers for UA. And so when you see five thirty dropped yesterday you know, that's what UA is working off of, and that's what UA is responding to. And that's why you have what you had yesterday, with UA apparently going to the city and Walt Maddox and asking for the two-week bar ban. And by the way, the two-week ban makes sense when you consider that there's a pretty important date coming up within the next two weeks. You know what that date is? It's September 4th, and you know what that date represents for the University of Alabama? On September the 4th, your fall tuition, your fall bill is due. In other words, cancellation uh, at at that point uh, comes into play. Payment in full, according to the UA website. Payment in full or participation in a payment plan is required before noon on September the 4th, 2020 for all fall bills. So trying to get everybody cashed in by Labor Day weekend. And think about the sort of time frame that works in relation to this two-week bar ban. And that's what we're working off of. So whereas you, you may have a very good argument when it comes to Uh, depicting the numbers and talking about hospitalization and mortality rates and all those things. That's not the ball game that UA is playing right now. And that's the one that matters the most. And so that's why I've had sort of the expectation that I've had for a long time now. You know, our daughter is still at Tutwiler Hall and her schedule has already gone entirely virtual. She has no in-class meetings now for the fall semester, but she's still in Tutwiler. We're going to head to our first break. When we come back, we'll check in with Brent Beard. We'll get football heavy for the football heads. We'll do that with Brent Beard of College Sports Today and First Coast News when Southern Fried Sports presented by Peter Brook Chocolatier returns right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Mostly cloudy this afternoon. A few periods of rain are likely through the evening hours. Behind today, 84. Tonight's low, 74. A warmer day tomorrow, partially sunny with just a few widely scattered showers around. The afternoon high, very close to 90. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide. Tuesday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on your home for University of Alabama Athletics. Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Dreyer, senior analyst for BOL with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. And it is that time on Tuesdays when we like to head to the Peterbrook Chocolatier and check in with our good pal Brent Beard of First Coast News and College Sports today. Brent, we have another preseason poll uh, in our grimy little hands at this point hopefully we've been washing our hands but we have the ap poll that came out on monday now to go along with the coaches poll that we had received previously obviously we've had some big news in the college football world 
uh, in recent weeks that could impact some of that. But considering that the AP, at least in this initial poll, did include teams from conferences that have opted out for the fall, what were still some of the primary differences between maybe the coaches poll and the AP poll that stood out to you? Uh, I, I think the um, uh, there's still a lot of love for LSU. Uh, they're at six. Uh, and, and Trav, that still, I, I, I get the reputation. I get what happened last year. But we cannot ignore that they've lost 31 players from that roster from last year. Uh, and and it, I don't care who you are. It, it's really hard to rebuild that. Um, I think the love for Florida kind of remains. Um, boy, if you're an A&M fan, Trav, and, and uh, uh, it was a little bit of difference in the AP poll, uh, but those Aggies are still in the teens, which their fans aren't real happy about right now. And, and, and kind of similar to both. Tennessee around that 25 spot. So uh, as far as the uh, SEC is concerned, Georgia, Florida, uh, very typical. So, uh, but I, I think probably more, more similarities between the two than differences. Yeah, with LSU, it's interesting too. You mentioned the attrition there, and probably had some guys in retrospect didn't need to go ahead and make that jump. Just look at Thaddeus Moss, the tight yes. end who was recently uh, cut uh, after uh, uh, not being a, a high draft pick at all uh, in the 2020 NFL draft. But you've also had a couple of opt-outs now for LSU yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, there is some 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 cachet, certainly, from a 15-0 and season that culminated with a national championship, but absolutely – it's an LSU team really across the board with a lot to replace. And you mentioned Tennessee sneaking in there at 25 in the AP poll. Um, I don't, I'm having a hard time recalling maybe another year. Maybe it's been recent. Maybe I'm overlooking South Carolina or someone like that where you've had three SEC Eastern division teams in the top 25 to start a season. That's kind of, Tells you where the SEC East has been here over the last decade or so. Uh, well, it really does. And, and Trev, I would argue that uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I would have been more tempted to put Kentucky in at 25 than Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. And and when you talk about how this is going to shift in coming weeks, once you go ahead and parcel out the Pac-12 and Big Ten representation in this top 25 because you're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of what nine teams combined from those two leagues that are going to be coming out of the next poll. Uh, That would seem to benefit the likes of Kentucky. You know, you would think Kentucky in the next poll uh, would be a top 25 team. And, you know, you look at Alabama's sort of amended schedule now with 10 SEC games. uh, Again, that that's a, an undervalued opponent, I guess we could say, in the Kentucky Wildcats, but it may end up being a ranked team here in the very near future. Brent, what about the Tennessee situation involving offensive lineman Cade Mays, of course, the transfer from Georgia? Really bizarre in a lot of ways, uh, the, the manner in which he left that program, some of the events that have been made public now involving Cade Mays' father and his pinky finger and uh, where are the balls at in trying to make that happen with Cade Mays in terms of immediate eligibility? I, I, well, they're very frustrated with it because uh, they have appealed of uh, him being turned down. Now, uh, I know some of the Tennessee beat writers and radio guys, Trav, uh, the way they succinctly put it is George is not cooperating with this either. Uh, so that the... The rivalry between the two is is kind of heated up a little bit uh, in this situation, but uh, the certainly the lawsuit from May's dad uh, over this pinky finger almost being amputated uh, has not helped this at all. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt uh, quite frustrated with it to say the least. Uh, Georgia fans obviously not happy that he's leaving. So uh, it, listen the. Trav Ford's over. This is going to be a, a pretty good chapter for somebody's book, <laughs> uh, is it not, at some point? But, again, uh, we're seeing so many of these other guys being immediately eligible, and, and, and we've still got 
guys like Joey Gatewood going from Auburn to Kentucky who are they're they're suffering the same fate right now that they don't have any clarity either, do they? No, they don't. And again, it just sort of goes back to the random nature in which waivers initially are determined uh, in terms of validity and uh, acceptance and just the timing uh, of kind of how it, oh, yeah. it all goes down as well. Now, it is that time of year still when you're in preseason practices around the SEC where right now, if you're a coach, no news continues to be probably good news. And I think that's been the case uh, we've seen at South Carolina, where South Carolina uh, at the running back position with a true freshman that was being uh, highly counted upon to deliver in 2020 uh, some some disappointing news on that front. Uh, well, there's no doubt. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd, uh, who they were really looking to uh, uh, help them uh, torn ACL. Trev, you and I've said for years, part of the problem with Will Muschamp is the lack of playmakers, and they felt that this guy could have been one of those. Uh, but and look, I know they got the verbal commitment from Gunnar Stockton for 2022, and he's got a connection uh, with Connor Shaw, uh, the former South Carolina quarterback. Uh, and also Taquan Johnson, the wide receiver, is no longer on the team. They're trying to uh, – Luke Doty, uh, he's seen time at quarterback and receiver. But, uh, but, but Trev, uh, don't we see this every year for the Gamecocks? Uh, the, uh, the, the guys, they hope to be able to get on the perimeter and, and get in between the linebackers and the secondary – Man, right now, they're, to me, they're just few and far between. Yeah, South Carolina was already going through some transition at the running back position. Rico yes. Doddle is now with the Dallas Cowboys. Tavian Feaster a year ago was a grad transfer from Clemson, of course. So Lloyd, not only in terms of talent and uh, that ability early to step in and, and be a big part of that offense, uh, they need guys. Uh, as much as anything else, too, at that position. And so uh, it hurts Carolina in a couple of different ways when looking ahead to the upcoming season. Uh, What about ESPN, Brent, and game day and sort of how its coverage of college football is going to be impacted? You know, we have grown accustomed to game day being very much part of the backdrop on a weekly basis. Uh, at different outlets around the country. What is that going to look like this season? Kirk Herbstreet was um, uh, doing some radio hits recently, and uh, he shared just a day or so ago that they're still trying to figure a lot of this out. But uh, they're, they're not going to be just doing it from their homes or doing it from the, from the studio. They're hoping to be able to at least still be on campus uh, but now they may end up having some cameras on fans uh, to get reaction and things of that nature. Uh, I, I don't know how a lot of that's going to work out. I, I applaud them for at least to trying to get out and see what they can do. Uh, but again, uh, Trev, COVID is uh, really taken away from a situation like game day that is so uh, dependent Pulling and having fans in the background and the signs and the whole nine yards. I'll, I'll be fascinated on what they can do with this. Uh, and, and, and frankly, Trav, I, I wonder if this may cause some changes in game day, I, maybe not necessarily in the personnel, unless they unless Lee Corso is more limited than we thought. I'll be interested in what they do uh, at some point to replace him in the next few years. Uh, but they still plan on going ahead. Uh, but, but my question is, will it have the same effect that it normally has? And it's going to be very hard to do that. Yeah, and kind of as an extension of that SEC Nation yeah. uh, on the SEC network um, that we see on a weekly basis. And, of course, Roman Harper, the former Alabama safety, right. now going to be a big part of that coverage on the SEC network, so some dynamics to consider there from a viewing perspective. Brent, we know Alabama defensively 
if you look at this football team in terms of biggest questions, question marks, most of them going to be on the defensive side of the ball with the turnover in the secondary, with Dylan Moses coming back from the injury, uh, with the loss of production in terms of pass rush at the outside linebacker positions. Alabama has plenty of questions of its own, but not alone in that regard. I guess as much as we're going to talk about Lane Kiffin and that Ole Miss offense in his first season over in Oxford, seems like the Rebels have been in search of answers on the defensive side of the ball for a decade or so. Yeah. I mean, I have to go back to Patrick Willis <laughs> at linebacker, maybe Greg Hardy at defensive end. Um, and I, really for Ole Miss, you know, it starts up front. Had a couple of big defensive tackles the last few years at Freddie Roach, the new defensive line coach at Alabama, was able to get some production out of, but those guys have moved on. Uh, a couple of Alabama opponents, Ole Miss, Missouri too, right? Going to yeah. have to answer some questions on the defensive side of the ball. Well, I think that's going to decide where these teams are going to be going uh, uh, over the next few years. Look, I think Ole Miss will be fine offensively, uh, particularly if they decide between Plumlee and and, uh, Matt Corral. Uh, Trev, the thing that I'm throwing out here that's interesting that probably a lot of people forgot about is uh, on that uh, Ole Miss defensive coordinators, Chris Patridge, and what about D.J. Durkin? Uh, I, I think probably a lot of people probably forgot where he ended up, uh, but he ended up in Oxford. How about that? Yeah, it kind of flew D.J. under the radar. It really did. Obviously, uh, very controversial exit yeah. up in uh, Big Ten uh, country, but uh, D.J. Durkin uh, is a part of that, that old Miss staff, and with Eli Drinkwitz checking in and uh, Columbia, Missouri, a, a side of the ball that pretty productive in, in previous regimes uh, at Missouri on the defensive side of the ball, especially in terms of negative play production. It seemed like sacks, tackles for loss. Uh, you've always seen Missouri there kind of oh, yeah. challenging in those areas and in the SEC standings. So we'll see how those programs respond to uh, not only – transition in terms of personnel but also as far as defensive philosophy and new voices and and things like that we're talking with brent beard of college sports today and first coast news on a tuesday edition of southern fried sports brought to you in part by houston hydra steam so as you consider this alabama football team now through five practices here in tuscaloosa brent what is an area or two that continues to maybe stand out as far as the the areas of biggest concern areas you feel best about what are you most interested in hearing or seeing from this team here as it moves more and more into full pad work Uh, well it's got to be for me the linebackers and where that's going uh in some of these guys uh who are stepping up uh, right now i think that's going to i think that's going to be fascinating uh, to see that group, uh, Sanders and Braswell, Robinson, some of the ones I know you've chronicled some of that and in some of your recent writings, uh, that, that, that go along. But, but to me, uh, that it, the communication between them, uh, I thought some of the, uh, uh, the, the Pete Golding interview was kind of, uh, uh, uh illuminating in some ways. I, I was intrigued that he, he really took responsibility. Uh, that they've got to improve their communication and be better. I certainly think, uh, obviously, with Dylan Moses out there, that's going to make a big help. But, uh, but Trav, I still say uh, I, I think this front is going to be uh, just uh, infinitely better than they were last year and guys being able to uh, uh, rush the passer and have a lot more success there. Uh, and, and, and the other troubling thing is way too many 100-yard rushing performances uh, on this defense over the last year or so. I, I just think those get much better uh, with Ray and Dale, Barmore. Uh, I think those guys are going to help those linebackers, too. I, 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 I can see some, some almost dramatic improvement in this front seven next year. Yeah, some historic lows for the Saban era. When you look at Alabama defensively last season, whether it was rush defense, as you outlined there, uh, I believe it was 10th in the SEC. Alabama checked in in league play only 
in rushing defense. Uh, I think third was the previous low back in 2010. So you talk about a precipitous drop there. Red zone defense, third down defense. But you sort of hit on this. In listening to Pete Golding a week or so ago, he either is a great salesman or he feels like he's got something. Yeah. In this next Good defense, I, I sense some comps. So I, there's faux confidence, you know, when you when you you know it when you hear it, and then there's times where coaches, players speak in a way where you sense that at least they really believe they got a winning hand for the for the upcoming pot, so to speak, and and that's what I kind of took away from from Pete Golding's comments to the media here in the. Uh, in the last week or so, but you know, we'll find out soon enough. I think X factors defensively, you touched on some of them at just about every level. Uh, Christian Barmore on that defensive line in terms of helping get that tackle for loss and sack production, quarterback hurries, those type of things back to where it needs to be. I think a true freshman like Will Anderson at outside linebacker. I think Christian Harris at inside linebacker. And then when you get into the secondary, we're going to talk mostly about Patrick Sertan the second, sure. as we probably should. But at corner, I'd say Josh Job needs to finally be the guy uh, to, to, to play that opposite position. And then at safety, someone to go along with Jordan Battle. Because yeah. obviously you feel really good about Jordan Battle going into year two. But is it really going to be Daniel Wright in his fourth year in the program? Is this when it's going to happen for Daniel Wright? Or is it going to be another freshman, maybe a Brian Branch coming in from the high school level? So I think just about every area of that defense, Brent, you can point to and uh, kind of outline some some youth, some inexperience that's really going to need to take a step forward. Well, I still say, Trav, even in uh, with mistakes they made last year, obviously having another year, but particularly with the uh, – uh, the the Shane leaves uh, of this group is going to make a difference, but, but but listen again. The bottom line is they they make a play or two extra defensively in LSU and Auburn, and they're undefeated in both those games. And it's a it's a different narrative, is it not, from last year, Trav? Even with the communication problems, uh, and and obviously the offense made up for a multitude of sins at that point, but that defense could have done themselves. Uh, a lot of good, and it would have been a, di- a, a different season with better communication and making a play or two extra. Yeah, you hear Nick Saban last night talk about that 2019 team. You would have thought he had coached Rice yeah, or Utah yeah, absolutely. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Once, uh, won six games instead of winning. Frustrated, <laughs> disappointed, won 11 games, and in the two losses, it was a combined eight points That's right. to two teams that were top 15-type teams at the time Alabama played them. So, uh, look, if you're an Alabama fan, you love to hear that because that tells you exactly where the standard continues to be. No question. Under Nick Saban, and, you know, we've talked about it before. Alabama under Nick Saban hasn't gone three years without a national championship. Amazing when you think yeah. about that. It really is. Seven and eight, didn't win it. Nine, won it. Didn't win it. Ten, won it at 11 and 12. Didn't win it. 13 or 14, won it in 15. Uh, Didn't win it in 16, won it in 17. And now we've gone 18, 19. And now we're into that third year. So that third year, that three-year stat is in play for Alabama football under Nick Saban. Brent, as we get out of here with you on a Tuesday edition of Southern Fried Sports, what's this about Luke Fickle? Yeah, of Cincinnati and perhaps the potential for him one day to be maybe a a member of the the Shark Tank known as the coaching roster in the SEC. I, I still think it's amazing that Cincinnati will be playing this year and Ohio State will not. Uh, but <laughs> but but Fickle now up to uh, Trev. We can't sneeze at three point four million, can we? Not uh, in Cincinnati, uh, Lord. No. No, now now the uh, uh, private donations and fundraising, I understand, uh, and I'm sure they wanted to be sure to include that in that press release, did they not, uh, with all the trouble that 
these athletic departments are having. But I think my point for bringing that up, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, Trav, he, this guy's got a pretty good track record. Uh, I, I think we've been impressed with what he has kind of quietly done. Uh, and I, I mean, he, I mean, his record, uh, I, I may be off of, for a game or so, but I mean, he's, I, I mean, he's like, 21 and five or something like that at this point I, i'm just thinking out loud here uh uh tram how soon is it before fickle continue continues to with this improvement get some real looks uh from from the sec acc and some of these other conferences yeah with his ohio state ties and his yes. roots there you know that would be the sort of connect the dot scenario but you got ryan day in there at a relatively young age. So it may have to be somewhere else uh, in the Big Ten. I I guess you could discount Michigan from that equation. We've seen it in the SEC, though, in the past, where coaches uh, from rival schools have ended up coaching at uh, the other place. You saw it with Pat Dye going at Georgia grad, coaching at Auburn, and conversely with with Vince Dooley, I guess, too. So uh, it's not... Totally out of the realm of possibility. Will Muschamp, a Georgia Bulldog, coach the Florida Gators. And so uh, we'll see how that plays out. It's interesting that uh, you're right. Cincinnati playing football or intent on playing football this fall, and the home state Buckeyes have already opted out. And you consider that that's a lot of coin for a university and an athletic department that's apparently not going to have fans of any kind at home games this year up at Cincinnati and look we understand you've got local you've got state sort of protocols and mandates and ordinances that dictate a lot of that but fascinating to consider Brent the differences in where we're going to have fans potentially at games and where we're not for the upcoming season well and it looks like the SDC is going to be around what Trav 20 to 25 percent uh, as far as attendance is concerned. And I think the thing we're going to see, um, and, and I think uh, Alabama along with others are going to be like this. If you're, if you're a fan of a school and you're a season ticket holder, you're going to, you're going to get what, Trav, maybe two games, probably maybe three at the most, something yeah. like that, as they try to spread wealth around and try to do it as fairly as they possibly can. And, and look for the, uh, uh, in in a different kind of year for for the ticket man this year, it's a different story, isn't it, pal? It's a weird year for the ticket man because you're not sure exactly if the demand's going to be what yeah. you would think it would be for a limited number of tickets based on the pricing and just sort of what you're going to be asked to go through from a protocol perspective to attend games. Sure, and that's where the concern from the the school and athletic department perspective comes into play because, again, the last thing you want are longtime ticket holders getting a year to experience the ease and comfortability of staying home. In all seriousness, that's that's what you don't want this year. And so I think it's going to be very important for schools to try to maintain a connection with as much of the fan base in making the determination and ticketing as possible, because you're going to need all of those factions. You know, yes, it starts with the the whales and the and the big money donors and the box yes. holders and those folks. But look, you're going to need the people in the 400 level coming back too. Well, you do. So, in terms of how you go about this and ticket availability and trying to be inclusive of your fan base and your, uh, you know, your, your, your tide prides and other sort of uh, scenarios like that. Uh, I would think that would be the approach. And even from a media coverage standpoint, you know, you hear a lot about, well, press box space is probably going to be limited, but I know some folks that cover college football on a daily basis. And if the setup is going to, to be game days that really all you're going to have access to is sitting in the press box and watching yeah. the game right. and post game. It's all still going to be zoom and all those things. What's the real value going to be to a lot of these true. folks to travel to say Missouri sure. or even Arkansas or places like that for road trips when all you're really going to have access to is a seat in the press box. Yeah. Well, uh, I agree. You know, 
Uh, and Trav, what also needs to be said, colleges need to be careful. Uh, I, I know they've suggested, uh, well, even if you don't get to go all the all of these games, we would like to encourage you to make a donation to the school. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and listen, I can tell you this, Trav. What 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 schools do not need to do is to strong arm some of those fans and getting those donations yeah. with with some with some of these ticket holders. Trav maybe not having a job at this point, so they've got to be careful with that, don't they? Yeah, I think most schools are taking the approach that look, you can opt out, maintain your place uh, for twenty twenty one. No, you, you, there's there's no benefit to taking that kind of approach um you know you you need to to try to yes i can see trying to sell the perspective of the donation and those things but uh as i said earlier you're gonna need all these folks back i mean because again the value of the game day experience even if you qualify for tickets no tailgating in most of these places so you know it's not i don't think it's going to be as easy to get folks to uh to jump on board uh, in some instances than than maybe a lot of folks are are thinking it will be. Well, Brent, as always, appreciate the time here on Southern Fried Sports. Always great stuff. If you haven't already, give Brent a follow on Twitter, at Brent Beard, B-E-A-I-R-D. Thanks, Brent. Always, bud. Take care. There he goes, Brent Beard of First Coast News and College Sports Today. Back with more of a Tuesday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. My name oh. Mostly cloudy this afternoon. A few periods of rain are likely through the evening hours. The high today 84, tonight's low 74. A warmer day tomorrow, partially sunny with just a few widely scattered showers around. The afternoon high, very close to 90. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. playlist theme options today with all the rock and roll iconic birthdays got that guy right there gene simmons of kiss he qualifies right we also have rob halford of judas priest and a personal favorite elvis costello so those three that trio gonna make up your southern fried sports playlist theme of the day, Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, back with you here on the program. Brought to you in part by Houston Hydrosteam, where again, if you haven't already made the call to Jackie and his outstanding staff, you need to do so right now because there's never been a better time, right? To take care of the sanitary aspect of every corner, of every inch of your home, your commercial property as well and houston hydrosteam can take care of that for you whether it's the carpet the rugs the upholstery the tile the grout cleaning give them a call right now 205-553-9460 we told you we recently went through what they refer to at houston hydrosteam as a flooring revival we've got different types of surfaces at casa de rire we've got tile we've got wood We've got carpet. We've got rugs. Handled all of them like a champ. Really the grand slam of flooring we've got. And Houston Hydrosteam, absolutely tremendous. 205-553-9460. So in kind of keeping with the AP theme over the last couple days, yesterday the Associated Press released its preseason top 25, which did include teams from conferences that have elected to opt out for the fall campaign. And now today, the Associated Press has released its preseason All-Americans for the 2020 college football season. And it, too, is inclusive of players from teams that aren't going to play this fall. Uh, But from the Alabama perspective, 
you do have Alex Leatherwood, Devontae Smith, and Dylan Moses as first-teamers. And then on the second team, you get into Najee Harris at running back, Jalen Waddell as the all-purpose player, and cornerback Patrick Sertan the second. So six Alabama players in total on these two All-American teams released by the Associated Press just moments ago. It's interesting to consider maybe some Alabama players that you're not seeing on some of these preseason lists that may very well show up on the postseason list. Uh, And you think about, well, that offensive line, in addition to Alex Leatherwood, some guys that would certainly qualify as at least candidates uh, Landon Dickerson, whether it's at center or guard, that continues to be sort of an interesting storyline for this Alabama football team as it moves through preseason practices. Landon Dickerson returning at the center position, but what you've sort of caught a glimpse of through five practices is Landon Dickerson at right guard with Deontay Brown at left guard. Now, Deontay Brown, the starter at right guard a year ago, but he has extensive experience at left guard from a couple of years ago. How about that? for a blocking sled duo. When you look at Landon Dickerson and Deontay Brown, you know, I think you could put the whole coaching staff on that blocking sled, and those two guys could move it pretty well. That's a lot of power at the guard positions. And then you consider a scenario in which perhaps you go with Chris Owens back in there at center. And not just in terms of bulk, and strength, and those things, you're talking about guys that are 23 years old or so because you're looking at a trio of fifth-year seniors, grown men, as they're referred to oftentimes. If you go with that, again, those three guys there from guard to guard. So I think on that offensive line, you could see another candidate or two emerge throughout the season. Uh, What about quarterback? Can Mac Jones have that kind of year? I mean, it's going to be tough with Trevor Lawrence sitting there from Clemson. But in terms of the postseason, one of these top two spots is up for grabs now, right? Justin Fields not going to play this fall with Ohio State. So it brings into the picture a number of quarterbacks. And especially when you look at the SEC and the possibility for some of these guys to really take another step forward. You know, whether it's Jamie Newman at Georgia, whether it's Mac Jones here at Alabama, maybe Bryce Young is a part of that equation as well. Um, Kyle Trask at Florida. A lot of possibilities. Kellen Mond, is this finally the year for Kellen Mond? You get the sense with Kellen Mond, it's all going to be contingent upon the game here in Tuscaloosa on October the 3rd. If Kellen Mond plays lights out here in Tuscaloosa in week two, uh, there's going to be a a groundswell of support for Mond moving forward. But if Kellen Mond, even if Kellen Mond plays okay and A&M loses here in Tuscaloosa, uh, you know, Kellen Mond's going to be uh, forgotten about pretty quickly, I think. So, you know, you've got the quarterback position in play uh, within the SEC. Um, You look at the defensive side of the ball for Alabama, some guys that have that sort of ceiling. Christian Barmore comes to mind pretty quickly, right? He has the type of production, negative play production, that a lot of people are anticipating from the third-year player. show up on these lists more so in the postseason, maybe even by midseason. The linebacker position, you know Dylan Moses is already on this preseason first team, but what about Christian Harris as a second-year player? I think he's got the potential to be a guy that over the course of a 10-game regular season, something you got to kind of catch yourself with still because – you start projecting regular season numbers and you're still in that mode of 12 games, you got to kind of scale it back a little bit and think about really an average per game. But Christian Harris could be an 80-plus tackles guy and a big tackles for loss guy, a big flash guy. 
And with his ability to go sideline to sideline, play in space, make some plays in coverage perhaps, you know, between Dylan Moses and Christian Harris, you might be talking about two every down inside linebackers because of the potential you have with Dylan, assuming he's back to pre-knee injury form, and what you can do with him in some pass rush looks. Whether you think back to Dante Hightower, whether you think back to more recently, maybe a guy like Rashawn Evans and how he was utilized. That could be sort of a a plan for Dylan Moses during the upcoming season. So a lot to consider with some of these individual honors, especially with the changes made now uh, to what's left of the participants for the upcoming fall. Some other comments from Nick Saban last night that I thought were interesting. The commissioner thing, as I'm now referring to it as, the commissioner thing in college football. We're once again on that campaign. Need a college football commissioner. Well, you're going to get these five power leagues to agree on anything. I mean, we only have three power five leagues left trying to play football. And whereas they agree that they all, all would like to play football. They're not in agreement on schedule format. They're not even in agreement on when they're going to kick off their seasons. I just saw Brett McMurphy of stadium.com report that Texas tech right now has 21 football players that have positive COVID-19 tests. And Texas tech has decided along with the big 12, we're going to play football. On September the 12th or the 19th. I mean, you couldn't get what's left of the Power Fives to agree on even a uniform start that would give them collectively the best chance to play football this fall. So if they truly are tethered together in this, and you got some of the leagues trying to play September the 12th and the SEC trying to play September the 26th, well, if you've got a big number of cases... And you got one league that says, look, we're not going to be able to start on September the 12th. Does that mean the SEC's out? Two? When it was trying to play on September the 26th all along? So good luck. Good luck getting on one page where a commissioner is concerned in college football. That's going to do it for a Tuesday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Thanks again to Joe Gaither and crew for producing the program. Thanks to Brent Beard for joining us. As well, the lunch whistle on this Tuesday. It's a Thai Chicken Tuesday down at Heat Pizza Bar. Give them a call, 632-3282. They're going to take good care of you there at Heat Pizza Bar. Until 11 a.m. on Wednesday. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. Thank you for listening.